welcome to the Empower Church podcast. My name is Matt Garner, and I'm the pastor at Empower Church here in Melbourne, Australia. We're so glad you've joined us today, and I am believing that today's message is not only going to inspire you and encourage you, but it's going to empower, equip, and challenge you to be everything that God has called you to be. Hey, if you want more information about what we're up to at Empower Church, just jump on our website, empowerchurch.co, and all the details are there. We really hope that you enjoy the message. You are building your church. Things we can't see will one day come to pass. Um, when you build it, will last. Um, we stand firm in the goodness of the word. And then the chorus is, this will be our anthem, this will be our song. God of revelation, lead us on. We will be your people. You will be our God. You won't be shaken. We will stand firm. That is the word of the Lord, and we receive it. Thanks, guys. Love you. Oh, so good. So good. Well, we're in our stewardship series. Um, we do this once a year, and uh, it is good. It's been good so far. We had a guest last week, um, Dr. Michael, who came and gave us a bit of a, a kind of zoom out on the new, the Old and New Testament kind of narrative and um, spoke to us about tithing kind of from that space. And, uh, and uh, you know, I, again, I think for all of these sorts of things, I want to certainly open by saying that the Bible teaches us to test everything. Um, it's actually a sign of maturity when you hear a message or a word and you start... Um, asking the Lord and digging into the scriptures for yourself and saying, is this right? <laughs> and um, we need to become more biblically literate and that only happens when we actually read our Bibles. And so I want to encourage you, whether it's a message on tithing like we heard last week or it's a message on worship or um, Isaac preached a really powerful message a number of weeks ago around submitting to Christ or my messages on stewardship, whatever it might be, it's important that we're saying, are these, does this line up with God's Word? Because God's Word is the full stop in our lives. And uh, it's important that we acknowledge that in this day and age because the world, um, the world and in our Western culture, there is certainly a, it's certainly getting harder to believe that God's Word is the absolute infallible truth because the more that we go along the more that we find that we've been seduced into thinking and behaving and living in a worldly way and not even realizing it and so we've got to keep coming back to the scriptures as our anchor and this is why also on that point community and being involved in church church life is so vital. This is why Sunday attendance is so vital. This is why connection with other Christians is so vital. Because number one, you're not meant to do theology on your own. You're meant to do it in the midst of family, and that's the church. And, um, 
and it's important, iron sharpens iron. So we are in community, we're in relationships, we're in conversations where we are consistently talking about the things of Jesus and, uh, and, and on that journey. And so I wanna quickly just give a, a few thoughts today as we continue talking about stewardship, just for a few moments this morning. And I wanna drill down, we heard about tithes last week, we heard about um, really giving, I suppose, in a lot of ways. Um, then we've heard about, um, we've heard about the cost of, of stewardship, which is um, following Jesus. And so today, I wanna talk about the motive that needs to be behind stewardship. The motive, are you there? Don't fall asleep yet. A question for the church today before we, excuse me, get, get to just a few scriptures and then just a couple of questions and then we're going to um, have tea and coffee and hang out a little bit more. But a question for the church today to answer is just a really simple one. But what does it mean in this day and age to be a follower of Jesus? If I were to ask you and you were to try to contextualise that question, how would you answer that? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Please let us separate the, uh, that question from the question of do you attend Sunday church? And please let us drill right down into the question itself. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? This is a personal question. It is also a very pointed question. It's personal because you need to answer that question for yourself. We can't, our, our, your parents don't answer that question for you. I'm a pastor, but my children need to have the answer to that question firmly in their thinking. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? It's personal. How does that therefore impact their life? Because the way it impacts my life in my job, at my age and stage and all those sorts of things is different to them as they're um, going through schooling and all those sorts of things. If you're a university student or a young professional or an entrepreneur or a single parent or whoever you are, the question is personal because contextually it must be applied and thought about, answered from within your context. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Then when we start zooming in on that a little bit, we start going, well, what does it mean for me to be a follower of Jesus in my vocation, in my job, in my school, as a university student, as a business owner, as an employee or as an employer? What does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? And really, I hope you, uh, I hope you are catching the heart at least of the messages that our church team have been sharing about stewardship, I hope that you've been catching the heart that this conversation about stewardship is not about money. It's about you as a person and your personal devotion to Jesus. To be honest with you, if we want to zoom into the book of Acts 
And we heard about how Jesus taught about the tithe last week and all those sorts of things. I don't want to go back there. You can listen to the podcast. It's on um, all places that you get podcasts. And, um, but I, I, want to zoom, I want to zoom into the New Testament church for a moment. And if we look at the New Testament church, even the story of Ananias and Sapphira, why did something so extreme happen in that time where they withheld and then God struck them down dead? It's because this is a, a number one, theologically, a lot of um, commentators write that it was a specific season, that was a specific moment. I don't know if that's happened since. But the point is, is you can't say that you're all in and not be all in. New Testament giving is certainly not about 10%. And this is the message of our stewardship series. New Testament giving and being a follower of Jesus today is not about compartmentalising, well, I just have to give this much. It's actually about acknowledging that all of my life belongs to Jesus. So what does it mean to be a follower? The answer to that question is important because it determines the direction of our individual Christianity, but it also informs the macro direction of the church's future. If this question is not answered correctly, followers of Jesus find themselves defining their Christianity by peripheral cultural issues. And so this question is an important one. Because we, if we were to ask the world, let alone the church, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, most people wouldn't know how to answer the question. And so we've got to wrestle with it. We've got to invite the Holy Spirit into that space to ensure that the direction of the church is shored up for the future. See, and that's why, like as a parent now um, of teenagers and, and, and kids, my Sunday attendance and my devotion has shifted from just being a thing that I thought I needed to do as a Christian to understanding that I'm leading the way, not just for me, but for future generations. I'm paving a way, paving a way in my behaviour as my community, let alone my family, observe how I live my life what I'm devoted to, where my time goes, et cetera, et cetera. And if we do not clearly answer and define what it means to follow Jesus, we'll end up being defined by these peripheral cultural issues rather than the primary issue, which is lordship to Jesus. And I believe that the primary issue of your life should be your allegiance to Him your allegiance to Jesus. It's a big, big word in a politically charged environment. Allegiance to Jesus. In an election year (laughs) where all the promises are coming out. And this isn't about left, right, purple, green, teal, whatever. This isn't about any of those things. What this is about is politics is not going to change the world. I want to say more, but I'm biting my tongue. But you know what's going to change the world? 
followers of Jesus that are fully devoted to Him, that have put to bed the Lordship issue and are following Him. So it's vital in this day and age that we have a clear understanding as God calls us to steward our lives for Him, what it means to follow Jesus. I don't want us to just to be defined by what this world is saying and who they are. And rather, I want, us, I want our, our Christianity, the expression of it to, to be defined by Jesus Himself. The peripheral issues of humanity, sinful nature, for example, sexuality, racism, left or right wing politics, mask wearing, not mask wearing, vax, anti-vax, conspiracy theories, not conspiracy theories. These things end up becoming centre stage instead of the person Jesus himself. Now, they're not statements one or the other for another thing. I'm just saying the thing that must define the future of the church is who is Jesus and how do we follow Him in this time? A lot of the statistics say that the church is equally as full of sin as the world. It's full of pornography, divorce, addictions, all kinds of secret sin. And other than our Sunday attendance, the question is, do we look any different? Are we any different to the world that we're trying to convert to Jesus? In a way, we're inviting them to be like us, but just attend a building on Sunday. And our Christianity must be deeper than that. Your lifestyle must look different to that. Are you with me today? We'll bring this to a close with a few questions in just a moment. I just want to finish reading what I've written down here. We're like a house built in a neighbourhood. Have you ever, well, we grew up in Western Australia. So when we moved to Victoria, one of the fascinating things was um, Perth is built kind of, there's a lot of new homes. And you go into any new estate, I suppose it's like, um, the new estates here now, but certainly kind of from here in, it's not really kind of cookie cutter. But you know, when you head out um, to to the, the outskirts, certainly it was like this in Perth. It's like there were four of the same house on the same street. Do you know what I'm talking about? Because there's a builder and they were just building the same thing over and over and over again. And um, if we're not careful, our Christianity can be like that. We're like a house in a neighbourhood that's built on the identical foundation of the world. We look the same. Sorry, uh, the house looks the same, but we've just dressed it up with a whole lot of different religious paraphernalia. But the truth is, it's the same. It's the same. We just have Christian music playing in the background. Come on, somebody. We just have the cross around our neck. Nothing wrong with that, all right? Ehab, I know you've got one on. It's all good. I'm not judging you, bro. It's all good. Especially if you keep bringing those pastries, you're safe from my sermons. <laughs> it's just like, it's just like the, the steeple on the roof. But inside, Jesus described that version of religion like whitewashed tombs. Why were the tombs whitewashed? They were whitewashed because the priests didn't want to get unclean. 
ceremonially. So the tombs would be whitewashed, number one, so that they could visibly see, so that they wouldn't accidentally touch it and become undefiled so that they could go about their good religious duties. It's a whitewashed tomb. It's a, it's a religion that is just full of dead men's bones. It's a religion that Second Timothy talks about where it says that we have the outward appearance but we deny the power of God operating in our lives. We, we have the appearance, we have some of the, the house looks good, it's got the cross, it's got the steeple, it's got all that. But there's not a pure devotion, there's not a, there's not a, a commitment that we've made of surrender to the Lord. And we've got to answer this question, what does it mean to follow Jesus? How do we steward our lives in this season? So let's just spend two minutes now just zooming in on motives. I think this is an important message because that introduction is all about setting up what our motives should be. And our motives should be Jesus. When we're talking about stewardship, yes, we're talking about finance, but we're also talking about the skills and the gifts and the abilities and the resource that God has given you. Let's talk about resource for a moment because I think it's easy for us to translate that into money. But let's think about time as probably the most precious resource we have. Let's talk about resource in the sense of the gifts and the talents that God has blessed you with. Some of them are so unique and so out there. We've got some amazing artists in this room painters and draw, drawers, is that what the technical term is? It is now. Um, we've got some people that are amazing. At, I've already, um, you know, mentioned it. We've got people that are amazing in that space of hospitality and cooking and all that. We've got people that are musical and can sing and can dance like Chris Hyde, especially the dancing. We've got people that, that have amazing, um, you've been blessed with amazing management skills and logistics and organisation and all those sorts of things. You've got people that are, have amazing minds and people that have so many gifts and so many talents. The resources go right through our life, don't they? They're all about our time from some of those more invisible things to those, some of those very practical things. One of those things is, of course, our finances. But what are we doing and what does it look like to follow Jesus with those things in this time? How am I stewarding those things? Have I even brought them before the Lord, whatever it might be, and said, God, this gift is yours. This talent is yours. Use it how you want to use it. I think it's really important. And the reason why it's important is because the honest truth is that our motive, ready for the spoiler, this is just pretty much the whole message, but our motive must be worship. You say, Matt, what else could it be? Well, our problem is, is that a lot of the time we've been trained that we've been trained and we've been brought up in a culture that everything is a transaction. You with me? 
Everything is a transaction. So for example, we've sat under offering teachings for, I know I have for the whole time that I've been in church that have spoken about, you know, 30, 60, 100 fold blessing. And we can also quote James, which talks about, you know, if we sow sparingly, we'll reap sparingly. And these are biblical principles that I'm not trying to undo. I'm just trying to help you to see that your motive can never be to get. You're a bad steward if your motive is just purely to get. You must be someone that has a heart of worship at the core of everything that you do. And so the motive that we must be coming from is, Lord, I am here to worship You. Lord, whatever it takes, whatever the cost is, whatever the price is, we've already said that the cost is everything. God puts a demand on our whole life. And Romans 12, chapter 1 and 2 tells us when the Apostle Paul urges us to see that our whole lives are a sacrifice to Him. Our whole, I urge you, therefore, brethren, present your bodies a living sacrifice. It is the fitting, it is your reasonable act of worship. You laying your life down completely is just fitting. It's just getting close to how good God is. Now, the one transaction that we need to put all of our weight and our thinking and our time into is the one transaction that changed the entire course of history. And it was a transaction that was paid in the precious blood of the Lamb. It's the one transaction that you and I need to be most concerned about. That is the death and the burial and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. The one transaction that you need to worry about most that needs to consume your heart is the fact that there are people out there in this world, there are people that are just across the road here that are waiting to participate in the goodness and the kindness and the love of Jesus, repenting of their sin and being accepted into God's family. That is the transaction that must grip our hearts. But our problem, our problem is that we're concerned with every other transaction. If I give, do I get back? Are you with me? And so our motive for everything that we do should be a love for Him. Everything that we do should come from this motive of worship. I wonder how much you measure your life and its success by what the world has to offer. Because the truth is, is look at, look at Steve Jobs, a wealthy man, had everything, didn't let his kid have Apple devices, but that's another sermon. But if you go to the, his coffin and see what was with him and what he took to eternity, it's going to be the exact same thing in a natural sense that you and I take. The transactions on earth mean nothing. The size of your house and your investment portfolio, they're good to have, don't get me wrong, 
But at the end of the day, we're not living on that level. We've got to live from eternity. We've got to live not storing up treasures on earth, but storing up treasures in heaven. And that is our commitment. And that is where we're going. Let me read these scriptures. Proverbs 16 verse 2, talking about motives. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. This is a, I wanted to read this verse today because I want you to see that you have blind spots. And until you're bringing who you are and you're thinking your way of life before the Lord, it, the Bible tells us it's the Lord that weighs the spirit. You and I have a tendency to see the things that we do and think that they are pure. It's just human nature. And this is why we must be presenting and bringing before the Lord in prayer, coming before Him because God truly, truly shows us the contents of our heart. It says it like this in the, in the um, message. It says, humans are satisfied with whatever looks good. God probes for what is good. Let's read James chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you and do not receive. Listen to this. This is what, what, what I want you to see. This is verse number three, James 4. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss. There's something broken about your asking. And then what, what is it? It's your motive. It goes on to explain. Look at this. That you may, you, you ask amiss that you may spend it on pleasures. You're asking, you're giving, you're serving, you're doing to get back for yourself, for your own needs. Some of those needs are the affirmation of man. Well, if I serve, the pastor's going to see. Or if I do this, then that person's going to see and that's what I need because I grew up in a broken home and I didn't have a stable father figure in my life. And so I do, I do, 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 simply because I, I want that person's approval. But when you live that way, James is trying to teach us, the brother of Jesus is trying to teach us that you can, you can covet and you can murder but you still will not obtain what you're looking for because no man and no earthly possession or environment can truly provide and meet the needs that you're actually after. Only Jesus can. That you may spend it on your, on your pleasures. Verse number four, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the Scripture says in vain, the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but He gives more grace. Therefore, He says, God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. 
Can you see that? Can you see what the Holy Spirit is trying to... The Holy Spirit is longing for your affection jealously. And this is why when it comes to our motives around stewardship and around giving, it must be purely for worship of His name. The truth is the tithe and offerings and all that, no matter what your theology is, and that's between you and the Lord. That's not up to me to decide. To be honest with you, whether you give 10% or don't give 10% or you do whatever you do, it's between you and the Lord. It's only sustainable, to be honest with you. It's not sustainable if you give out of inspiration. It's only sustainable if you give out of revelation. So you can get inspired by a message to give and you'll do it for a little while. But revelation is that thing that transforms your heart from the inside out and changes your life, right? And you end up living out of your being rather than just doing because that's what religion does. But whether you give, whether you believe in tithes or not tithing or this or that, no matter what those preferences are, no matter what those beliefs are, number one, that is between you and the Lord. Number two, I want you to know today that the Lord is jealous for your affection. And it's my prayer today that we would be inviting the Holy Spirit and saying, Lord, all this stuff I'm doing, help me purify my motives so that it's worship. Let me ask you a few questions. So how do, you, how do you know if your motives are right? You ready to write these questions down? I'm going to give you a few and then we're going to close. If no one ever knows what I'm doing, how I'm giving, this is question number one. If no one ever knows what I'm doing, how I'm giving, serving, sacrificing, would I still do it? Some of you are like, well, I feel called to be in this area and it's in the community and doing those sorts of things and that's wonderful. But if you didn't get a paycheck for that, would you still do it? Like, I'm not saying you don't need to have a job. Have a job. Jobs are good. But I'm trying to help. I'm trying to get to the motive of why you do what you do. Number two, if there was no visible payoff, that word visible is really important. If there's no visible payoff for doing this, would I still do it? Would I joyfully take a lesser position if God asked me to? (laughs) How low can you go? True biblical leadership, true biblical fivefold leadership. Apostles aren't the tip of some spiritual hierarchy. That's not how God sees it. If anything, it's an upside down triangle, right? And the Bible tells us that Jesus, he's the chief cornerstone. True godly and biblical leadership gets as low as it can to lift up as many as possible. Would you take a lesser position in order to serve 
more effectively? Am I doing this for the praise of others or how it makes me feel? You know, if you're a parent, you're always going on a journey. In fact, if you're a human, you're always going on a journey, (laughs) which is trying to teach and educate yourself and your flesh that this is so much more than what I'm feeling in the here and now. Feelings provide great directions at times, but they are a terrible leader. And if we follow them, right, if we follow them, we're going to become unstuck. I think the peace of God is a great thing, but can I tell you something? It's not the exclusive thing for whether you're in God's will or not, right? The Western church wants to tell you that you're going to feel tingles every time the Lord speaks to you and it's going to be fun and exciting. But there are often seasons where God calls you into a thing called taking up your cross and following Him. Oh, whoops, sorry. That's basically the whole journey of Christianity. <laughs> and so peace is, a, peace is important. Don't get me wrong. You, can, you should have peace in the storm. But it's a peace that surpasses understanding If you're trying to have a peace that helps your understanding, you're missing what the peace is for. The peace is not a feeling. The peace is a person. Are you with me? Man, I'm just blessing myself right now. I'm just preaching right to my own self. Why? Because he is called the Prince of. So we're not looking for a feeling in a hard time. We're looking for a person in a hard time. The Western Pentecostal Church has had you looking for a feeling to define whether God is moving in your life. I'm here correcting that teaching today, telling you stop looking for a feeling. Things are going to get hectic. Things are going to get crazy. Things are going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be harder to be a follower of Jesus than ever before in our history, in our lifetime lifetime moving forward. But stop looking for a feeling and an emotion and start looking for the person of Jesus. Start realising you don't even have to look for Him or have some sense that He's there. You just need to lean on that other thing. It's called the promise of God. The one promise Jesus gave us was not that He would heal us in this day, was not that we would get blessed financially in this time, was not that we'd have all the stuff the world says is good. The one promise Jesus made us was that He would never leave us nor forsake us. So whether you live with pain in this earth, Jesus is there. Whether you live in a crazy circumstance in this time, Jesus is there. The person of Jesus needs to be the object of our faith, our Christianity and our devotion to Him. I'm preaching myself happy. If I had to, I've got three more. If I had to suffer for continuing what God has called me to do, would I continue. Now, one of the messages that we really believe in strongly is the counterbalance to this, and it's the gift of limits. You don't have to take, you're not the saviour, is really the moral of the story. It's okay to say no to, not to Jesus. You say yes to him, 
but please realise that the organisation of the church is not him. I'm undoing all of that thinking that you have. Because I'm, I'm not trying to, um, like, yeah, volunteer, we need help. It'd be good if you play keyboard so I don't have to play and Calvin and I are on every single week and other things and all that. Volunteer, use your gifts, like help, help, help build our community and partner with what God's doing, 100%. But we are not God. We are, the, the church belongs to Jesus. And so in our gift of limits, for example, as a church leadership, we're just okay that some things get are not done. Would we love them to be done? Absolutely. But we have boundaries and we have limits. And so we are okay to just say no to some of those things. Maybe budget doesn't permit or maybe we don't have the people in place or we don't have enough volunteers or we don't have this. So instead of trying to kill poor Isaac and Beck to do 95,000 things, we have limits and we're okay. We're really good with those limits because I want Beck and Isaac to have space to have a yes in their heart to God, but that's impossible if all of their yes has gone to something else. And so this is important because it doesn't just apply to church. I'm preaching long, but I feel I'm, I'm in a zone. It, it, this doesn't just apply to church. Some of you have said yes too much to other things that you have no room to have a yes to Jesus. And so when the Lord's putting in your heart to serve, my, my timer's going off on the front row, my preaching timer. It's called my three-year-old daughter. Um, hello, Maya. How are you? Shall I finish soon? Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Are you bored over there, Maya? Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, just checking, getting the, getting the wind up. Um, but, but the truth is, the truth is that we've got to be, have enough room. In fact, Jesus should get our yes first. If there's a message on tithing, I want you to hear, right? The tithe a famous thought on the tithe is that the tithe is actually the first and the first belongs to God. And so if we put that into every area of our life, your first yes needs to be to him. Amen. If others misunderstood or criticised my actions, will I stop? If those whom I'm serving never show gratitude or repay me in any way, will I still do it? And the last question is, do I judge my success or failure based upon my faithfulness to what God has asked me to do or how I compare with others? So the motive of stewardship, I'm urging you that it becomes worship. I'm urging you to, to be the type of followers, the people, the followers of Jesus that say this whole thing called life is about him. It's worship to him. My career is worship unto the Lord. My family, I'm going to steward that in such a way that, Lord, it's worship to you. 
my, my, uh, my behaviour and my attitude and my thinking and all those sorts of things. Lord, I want to steward in such a way, not because I want the accolades of man, but because I am devoted and I'm in love with you and my love, my love for you places a demand on me that everything that I touch is for you. When I entertain strangers, the only way that you can do it thinking it could be an angel is when you steward every single person, every person that comes across your path, you treat them, you see them like as if Jesus died for them. The only way you can serve your neighbour that's really annoying because his branches are coming over your, over your thing and leaves are going into your pool or the only way you can serve your neighbour that, you know, they've got teenagers or young adults and they keep doing burnouts and driving really fast down the street and you're grumpy at them. The only way that you can continue to love those people, that really annoying boss that is just completely out of hand and unjust and inappropriate, the only way you can love them, please, every Everyone, look straight ahead, look straight ahead. Keep your arms to yourself. But that person you're sitting next to, husband, wife, child, whoever it is, the only way that you can truly continue to love them is when you've allowed the Holy Spirit to change you from the inside out. The only thing, the the calling that we have is to bring our whole lives before the Lord in worship to His name. And it's my prayer that as a community, we would start viewing everything that we do as worship. Do you see your job as worship? Do you see your, your like, this is worship when the singing's going and we're, like, doing these ones? You know, someone tried talking to us the other day about the Pentecostal two-step. You know, whatever your thing is, is worship. Like this is worship, but this isn't really worship. This is worship, but worship is far bigger than this. In fact, an Old Testament definition of worship is actually work. When they were farming, they were worshipping. When they were toiling the land, they were worshipping. When they were pressing the grapes, they were worshipping. You know what I'm saying? We've got to be these people that have this motive of worship to the Lord. It's never give to get. It's always give because we want to worship. Amen. Amen.